Steve Jobs said the most powerful person in the world is the storyteller. I'm like, if storytellers are the most powerful people in the world, someone ought to be gathering them together to inspire them. Yeah, hold them accountable, but together say, we can do better as a culture. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. Hi, I'm Brian Lord, your host of the Beyond Speaking podcast. And today we have with us Harris III. Harris, you have traveled the world, uh, been everywhere, 49 out of 50 U.S. states, we've just determined. <laughs> so not everywhere, we, almost. If there's anyone in, in Montpelier, Vermont, or just anywhere in Vermont, Vermont. that can book uh, Harris for an event, then yes. we will we'll be there performing in front of 2 million people. Um, and as a master illusionist, but along the way, you've really learned what it takes. You become a really successful entrepreneur with your story conferences. Uh, companies like Disney and Apple and Google send their people mm-hmm. to you mm-hmm. to get better at wonder and innovation and creativity. And so thank you so much for coming on and being part of this. It is an honor. Thank you for having me. Yes, yes. Well, we're glad to have you here. So one thing that really struck me about you is is this concept of wonder. Mm -hmm. And and something that stood out is that you talk about wonder and leadership. When people talk about leadership, they talk about so many different things, but I've never heard the concept of wonder come up as something that leaders need to have. Can you explain what wonder is and why (laughs) leaders need it? Yeah, I would love to talk about that for the next four hours. Uh, So (laughs) yeah, you're going to get me on a soapbox really quick. Uh, So maybe the best way to talk about wonders in the context of storytelling. And everybody these days is talking about storytelling. It's kind of become a buzzword, but most people are talking about storytelling through the context of marketing, communication, how do we communicate ideas, because it's the most powerful form of communication. Um, and, and storytelling isn't really a type of communication. It is everything. Everything is story. This room we're sitting in right now tells a story, even though it may not have words until you and I sit down and start talking, right? And so, uh, if, if human beings are storytellers, not just by the way that we communicate, but by how we think, we think in terms of narrative, I like to think of story as the operating system of our brains. Mm. Really, what leaders do so powerfully is they invite people into a new story of possibility that maybe they didn't believe before. They help them understand that more is possible. Um, and really, the difference between an old story that someone is currently telling themselves and a new story of possibility, a new narrative that they can be led to believe that will change all of their behavior and choices and mindset the thing that toggles the difference between the old story and the new story is wonder. Hmm. And so there's a lot of leaders that are focused on, this is what I want you guys to believe, or this is the vision that I want you to buy into. Um, And yet the the reason why people have a hard time buying into it sometimes is because they have that barrier up because of cynicism or apathy or a long list of 30 other things that are the enemy of wonder. But without flipping that little wonder switch, without awakening wonder, uh, wonder is the thing that gives them permission to believe that that new story is possible. So it, there's, there's nothing in our lives that wonder doesn't touch or transform once it's reawakened. And there's nothing that the crushing of our wonder doesn't affect if it stays crushed. Who taught you about wonder? Really audiences being a magician. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you're a little kid and I started magic when I was nine years old, I got a magic kit for Christmas for my grandmother and everything about magic books when you're a kid or a magic kit, it is all designed around the secrets. The real value of magic tricks they tell you is how the magic trick works. Um, and so you kind of grow up as a magician thinking like, oh, here's the secrets and here's the, and the goal is like, go fool them and trick them. Right. (laughs) And that's just not really what magic is about. And so later on in my career, I started changing some questions. I shifted from how do magic tricks work to why do magic tricks work? 
which led to an even bigger question, which is why do people even like magic tricks to begin with? Um, because at first glance, you think if, if magicians fool people, then do people enjoy being tricked? Does that make them feel dumb? And what I discovered is that there's these universal things about the art of magic and illusion, one of which was that it makes us feel like a little kid again. So I, I love doing magic for people because their first reaction is often to just laugh. Like some, not everyone, but a good majority of people respond to magic tricks by giggling like a little kid, right? <laughs> Uncontrollably. And then if you show them a video of themselves responding to a magic trick, they feel silly, right? Because they're like, I sound ridiculous right now because you're just giggling like a little kid. And that's because your brain got a little glimpse of childlike wonder. And you didn't, because again, you're a storyteller, you think in terms of story, you didn't know what story to tell yourself about what just happened. The, the line between illusion and reality got blurred. And so you tried to make sense of reality by figuring out how that story was broken all of a sudden. And obviously on a neurobiological, that's all happening subconsciously, right? But I, I really think that being a magician is the thing that eventually led me to a place of understanding what is wonder and what can it teach us? And then all of a sudden discovered all these other things about uh, its ability to transform every facet of our lives. What are the roadblocks that people have, whether it's corporate world, their personal life to wonder? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that affect our wonder. There's almost always something crushing it. You know, this idea of a wonder switch I like because, you know, it's like a light switch on a wall in a room. If, if you walk into a room that's dark, it's hard to see much about what's going on. You can't see into the future. You can't see what's out in front of you. You can't see possibility anywhere. And so it's like turning the lights on, right? So we're all born with that wonder switch turned on because we come into this world and we see magic and possibility everywhere. But somewhere along the way, something turns the switch off, right? It crushes our wonder. It's often a, a voice, a coach, a father figure, a parent, a bully on a playground. That's what it was for me early on in elementary school. I was born with the wonder switch turned on and the bullies on the playground crushed the wonder by turning the switch off. And then it's like closing your eyes. It's like you can't see clearly anymore. And that gives birth to cynicism and apathy and worry. And, and so I think step one would try, probably be to figure out what is... What is crushing your wonder? Is it a voice, um, which could be a leader? So those are some honest questions, some tough conversations sometimes. It could be the environment. We tend to be a product of our culture and our environment. So this could be something about your culture that isn't supporting or sustaining wonder. So therefore, it's crushing it. Um, so I think you know part of it is to take a step back and evaluate what's crushing our wonder because it's in you. We're all born with it on. So then what is it that's turning it off? What is it that's crushing it? Identify that, get it out of the way so that that natural sense of childlike wonder can be reawakened. One of the things you talk about is that uh, people are always trying to talk about being more innovative and more creative and that that actually never leaves us. We just redefine it. It's almost like the dark side of the force <laughs> of wonder. Um, yeah. So how does that play into it now and how can we kind of shift Sure. You know, everybody loves to talk about imagination and curiosity. It's like those are more accepted words in the corporate space, um, in the workplace, even than something like wonder. Wonder, you, you start talking about wonder, you know, you get on stage at a keynote and you're like, I'm here to talk about wonder. And all the cynical, <laughs> all the cynical people in the audience are just like, oh man, like they might as well brought Oprah in or something. You know, this is going to be one of those feel good woo woo kind of things. Um, and like at the end, we're all going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya or walk across burning hot coals or something. Um, and it's, it's just, 
really not because those things like innovation, creativity, imagination, curiosity, we honor those things. We support and value those things, but they're all connected back to wonder. So I like to think of curiosity as wonder in action. Mm-hmm. So if you awaken your sense of wonder, it gives birth to curiosity. So wonder turned into a verb, I think is probably curiosity. And that wonder switch I'm talking about is, is really a toggle for your imagination. So I, I used to think that imagination is something that is active when we're children and then we grow up and it becomes less active or maybe we don't use it or it's not as strong. And then when I started studying creativity and leading storytellers, what I realized is that, holy cow, like if your imagination is even more active than it was when you were a little kid and you talk to someone, you're like, well, I'm not that creative. It's like, you are writing like Oscar worthy screenplays in your head. (laughs) Um, The problem is you're, you are imagining all the potential things or ideas as to why something won't work. Uh, you're just spending all of your imagination to explain all these negative things that are going to happen. So you might as well not care about them and just be passive anyway. You're basically using your imagination to worry and fear. Uh, and I think worry is a misuse of imagination. And so it's not that we're not using our imagination, it's that we're misusing it. And so I think the thing that allows us to reallocate all of that creative energy into dreaming and creating and innovating is a reawakening of wonder. So when our wonder's awake, we use our imagination to create and dream and innovate. When our wonder is crushed, we use our imaginations to worry and fear. We experience more of that dark side of our imagination. Now, a lot of people listening are parents. You know, I'm a parent, you're a parent too, and you've got young kids. Mm-hmm. What? How are you going to try to keep the wonder alive in them? Yeah. To, to maybe, you know, get rid of those bullies or, or ignore the bullies in their sure. life? Yeah, man. I mean, leadership is really no different than parenting, right? Uh, if leaders, because everyone, all human beings are storytellers. If leaders are storytellers, your job as a leader is to help your team buy into the narrative, to believe that the story that you're telling them is true so that that story can drive their behavior and choices and attitudes at work. I do the same thing at home. I try to create a culture of wonder. I try to identify the things in the environment and the voices at school that might potentially crush their wonder so that I can keep their wonder switch turned on. One of the things that being a magician, I keep thinking of this and these questions is, being a magician taught me that seeing is not believing. And if you say that to someone, we're like, oh yeah, that's probably true. What you see is not always what you get. Things aren't always as they seem, blah, blah, blah. But we certainly live and work as if seeing is believing because we, what we do is even though we may not say it out loud our attitudes communicate, oh, like I'll believe that when I see it. Right. And so as a parent, I tell something to my kids and my six-year-old, even at six years old, The world is already conspiring against his wonders so that he will not disrupt the status quo so that he will get in line and not ask questions so he can be a part of the machine or the matrix, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) Um, because that stuff makes people uncomfortable. And so everything in the world is conspiring against his wonder. And if I try to implant possibility in him, he'll go, I'll believe in that or "I'll, I'll believe in that when I see it. Right. He is already at six years old, beginning to live and act as if seeing is believing. But if I make something levitate on stage, is it actually levitating? Of course not. I have no (laughs) magical powers to make something fly, right? But I can create the illusion that something's levitating. So I think magicians prove that seeing is not believing, but believing is actually seeing. And all the neuroscience backs this up when you start studying neurobiology. What they usually do, even, even when neuroscientists have partnered with magicians to understand how our senses and emotions interpret information to tell our brain what to think about reality, what they've discovered is that we tend to see what we believe, that 
we see what we want to see because of things like confirmation bias. But it also sometimes our belief systems keep us from seeing something that is right in front of us. And so what we believe has the power to change what we see. And so the reason why wonder is so important, again, it goes back to that idea that wonder is the thing that gives you permission to believe. So if you're a leader listening to this or an event planner is planning an event and you see possibility because your wonder is awake and you're like, this person on my team, why can they see it? It's right in front of their face. Why can they not see it? I've told them about it. I've explained it to them. I've given them evidence. I've sent them links to studies and everyone in the office is talking about it. Why can't they see it? And it might be right in front of their face, but they can't see it because they do not believe it exists. And so sometimes you have to believe in something before you can see it. And that's just science. It's not a, you know, new agey. I have to, if I just believe it will manifest itself. Um, no, it's just sometimes you have to believe before you see. And I think that's parenting. I think that's leadership. Wonder gives you the permission to believe that that new story is possible. So you've had a really interesting path of magician illusionist to somebody that's looked on as a thought leader. You know, there's mm. got to be a reason why, you know, these companies like Disney and Apple and others are sending their people to you through your story mm. conference as an entrepreneur. Uh, tell us how that journey came about from being someone who is on stage to someone who's sort of creating stages, creating experiences. Sure. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it was driven by passion and purpose, right? Um, which is what drives all of us long-term. You know, I, I had this experience, I, I guess part of my story, I told you I got a magic kit for Christmas when I was nine years old. And it's ironic that I am talking about storytelling and the easiest way to explain things to answer your questions is, well, <laughs> let me tell you a story. Um, so I get a magic kit at nine. I get paid $25 finally when I'm 11 years old. It took two years to finally book my first show and make 25 bucks. Um, to make a really long story short, started traveling a lot as a teenager, cruise ships, private events, churches, anybody that would let me come to a magic show. Started making six figures, made a million dollars by 21, traveling around the world doing magic shows. By 22, I was bankrupt mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons, the primary of which is that I was telling myself some stories that weren't true. And my value as a human being was found in my ability to control the perceptions of other people, to get them to believe the story that I was trying to tell that wasn't really who I was, right? And that was because I had been influenced by the world around me to tell myself some stories that weren't true. So it was crushing my business, it was crushing my personal life, it was crushing my marriage, all of this deceptive story, right? So at 22, you hit rock bottom, and I'm thinking, how did I end up here? I don't know what to do with my life. All I know is that I know how to do magic tricks, and all of a sudden I have this newfound appreciation for maybe instead of using my skill set and my talents to serve myself, maybe I should give back because I had had some experiences over that year that realized that that had given me a lot of joy. And so I didn't know what to do. And I found myself sort of accidentally, it wasn't even strategic part of my business plan, but I was, I was speaking in some schools to public schools, um, to a lot of young people about how they get tricked into making the choices they make, which is something that I just walked through. <laughs> um, and I remember being in a school in Michigan, had no idea what I was going to say because I was mostly an entertainer. No one had ever considered me as a speaker. Um, and so I remember leaning up against the wall, uh, waiting for all the kids to come to the gymnasium, not even a good environment. They're on bleachers up ahead. And the principal walks in, he's like, Hey, you're the magician. And I was like, yeah. He goes, you know how to trick people, right? That's what a magician is. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and, he goes, <laughs> and he goes, go out there and tell those kids how they're getting tricked into believing what they believe and making the choices they're making. And I was like, uh, okay. And so I just shared part of my story vulnerably. I don't remember anything about that show except for I got out of a straight jacket at the end, did a straight jacket escape. And I remember holding up the straight jacket and saying, 
I don't know what your straitjacket is. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what stories you're telling yourself, but I want you to know there's always hope. And this girl starts beelining it down the bleachers at the end of the show. And she is like bawling, tears streaming down her face. And she comes up to me and she's like, hey, I have something for you. And I was like, uh, okay. And she like hold a, held her hand out and I held my hands out. She dropped a razor blade into my hand and said, that's my straight jacket. And I don't want it anymore. And no one's ever told me that I mattered the way that you did today. And then she, I never even got her name. Teacher came around the corner and said, hey, time to go back to class. And as she walked away, I saw scars up and down her forearms. And I became obsessed with trying to understand why would someone make that kind of choice? Why would someone cut themselves? Why that kind of behavior? And that's what started this journey into this, you know, subject matter of storytelling. And I realized basically she had adopted a narrative because she is a storytelling creature and that narrative was driving her behavior. But the story that she was telling herself wasn't true, wasn't equal to reality, but she believed it was and believing is seeing. And so therefore she fell for the lies and that limited her human potential as a high school kid. And so when I started realizing the power of story, I looked around at the world and I was like, someone, if storytellers are this powerful, which is what Steve Jobs said, Steve Jobs said the most powerful person in the world is the storyteller. Plato often gets summarized by saying those who tell the stories rule the world. I'm like, if storytellers are the most powerful people in the world, and now I'm experiencing and seeing that power in the places that I'm traveling to, someone ought to be gathering them together to inspire them. Yeah, hold them accountable, but together say, we can do better as a culture. You guys are the most powerful people in the world and you're shaping the future of humanity. So let's tell stories well. Turns out that was a powerful idea. So all these amazing companies started showing up going, yeah, you're right. We need to get better at this and we can get better at this. And how do we become more creative? Yeah. Now you as somebody who puts on events yourself, how has that changed how you see the event planners that you work with? Sure. Yeah, I think everything... in Immersive has kind of become a buzzword lately, um, and we think immersive has to do with immersive technologies like AR and VR, and I just don't really view it that way. You know, I was backstage with Gary Vee one time at a recent event. A lot of event planners know who he is, and um, we were talking, and he had just got into a conference business, uh, producing his own conference, and he knew that I owned a conference, produced a conference, and so our conversation kick-started in that way. Um, and I, I was talking to him about the fact that it was ironic that he just stood on stage and talked about how robots were basically going to kill everyone's grandkids <laughs> <laughs> in attendance of the event, which is funny because everyone laughed and he's like, why are you guys laughing? I'm serious. <laughs> uh, and that's like traditional Gary V, right? Uh, and then, then backstage he's talking about getting into the conference business. And I'm like, for someone who is futuristic and thinks the future is filled with so much artificial intelligence, I'm like, you're, you're booking a physical room and bringing physical people into a physical space instead of just digitizing it all and sending out videos and why not like an online summit or something. And we agreed that the pendulum is going to swing, that there's something special about a shared experience where people get into a room. And so what we like to do at Story and all of our events, honestly, is take an idea and then immerse people in that theme because you can take the exact same speaker and put them on a stage they could say the exact same thing, but if you put that speaker in an environment where people are immersed in uh, a culture of wonder and curiosity, it fosters different connections. They hear the speaker differently. So we do that by thinking about the story we want to tell them and in consideration of the story they're already telling themselves in the parking lot or the pre-event communication. And my hope is to awaken their wonder before they even get to the venue. And if I don't succeed at that, my goal is to awaken their wonder and pique their curiosity in the lobby. 
And if I fail at that, it's through the conference opener. Like by the time the first speaker walks on the stage and says the first word, even if the people in the audience have heard that speaker and that talk before, I want them to be able to experience it in a new way because all of a sudden there's this openness and that openness comes from that attitude, that mindset, that wonder and curiosity that's being stirred within them so that all these new connections and innovative thought is fostered in ways that it couldn't have been otherwise. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And and talking about unlocking wonder, unlocking, you know, how people see themselves, you know, similar to the story of the the girl in Michigan. Mm -hmm. Have you, do you have any examples of that, of, you know, people resulting in opening up their wonder in the corporate world that you've spoken to? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, look, if believing is seeing, uh, it's, it's, if, and if wonder is the thing that gives you permission to believe, that means that there is an endless amount of possibilities out there. And so just by flipping that little switch, we've seen people write books that they've been sitting on for decades. And all of a sudden (laughs) they write it in six months. We've seen people make films and documentaries uh, of ideas they've been carrying around since they were teenagers. And now they're in their forties and fifties and they finally get them made within a two year time period. Um, It's amazing what happens when you flip on a little wonder switch, because it just gives you permission to believe um, in what is possible I've become obsessed with Apollo 11, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting because I'm, I'm 36 years old. I'm pretty young, um, and, but I've learned a lot through this really rich experience I've had by traveling around the world so so young. But I wasn't around for the moon launch in the 60s, right? Um, and it's been fascinating to go back and study it all through that context of even JFK's speech of going, why are we going to the moon? Because it's there. And I'm like, who noticed that it was there? You know, Because I think... If, if we were to like do some sort of leapfrog in human history to 2019, I don't know that we would notice the moon or the stars as much because we're too busy looking down at our phones, right? And so we forget to look up and be in awe of the stars because we're so busy looking down at our phones. So I think, I think back to someone's wonder had to be awake to look up at the sky and go, man, I wonder what that is up there. I want to understand, which gave birth to curiosity. Well, man, I'm curious if we could actually go there. I'm curious what's up there which drove innovation. It changed the way they use their imagination. That imagination was so active, they innovated the, these parts to a rocket to blast someone outer space. And like, what an incredible accomplishment. What an incredible example of human potential. But if you would have walked up to someone whose wonder was crushed and said, I want to go to the moon. <laughs> I'll believe that when I see it. Right? <laughs> but yet someone said, well, I can't see it yet. We don't have a device that can get us there. But I believe it's possible, and that simple belief is going to give me permission to explore and innovate. Um, so I've been, it's been so fun to go back and study that through that lens of how do we get to the moon. So I, I think what triggered that thought by your question is just, yeah, it feels like people are taking moonshots all of a sudden. Yeah. yeah, it sounds cliche, but like people are going, maybe we can put a man on the moon. Maybe whatever that context is for you, maybe we can actually accomplish that thing together. Um, there's obviously some tangible things that we can do in our culture to create that. I'm happy to talk about those, but it all starts with reawakening that sense of childlike wonder. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more about today's guest, visit beyondspeak.com. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was me, Eric Woody. Brian Lord was your host and executive producer. Shout out to special consultant Lauren D. of D. Associates and Robert Borquez for that sweet, sweet intro. If you've listened this far, do me a favor and justify my existence and salary by checking out another episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast.